0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Despite the non-spoiler alert, uh, we are talking about fasting. We are going for a fast chat. Thank you, Mr. Gleeson. So you're ready to chat fast? Of course you are. Before I start, um, it's always useful. I've, uh, I'm aware that kind of I'm looking at different sources, and actually this might be a topic that really engages you. You're just like, this is really interesting. And I'm trying to kind of gloss over um, and weave in and out of some of the nuances, but you might really want to get your teeth into some things, so these uh, three Areas are where I've kind of read and investigated a bit. Uh, so the Common Rule is a book uh, that I was—I've really enjoyed reading, and it looks at habits of purpose for an age of distraction. Uh, and fasting is one of those habits, but he goes through four weekly and four daily. Uh, habits that we can include in our lives to help us connect in a more deep way. Uh, Fasting by Scott McKnight is a book that I actually haven't read, uh, awkwardly. Um, But he quotes, there is a book that we have got, which is on the Sermon on the Mount, where he quotes from this book regularly. So I have read bits of it, just not all of it. But everyone seems to recommend it. So, Why don't I, because that's the thing to do. Um, And Practicing the Way, which is a website by Bridgetown Church, uh, led by John Mark Comer. Um, He goes through, again, a load of other habits that we can engage in on our daily lives and stuff like that. So if you're interested, want to dig in more, I'd recommend those three places. But hey, it's always good to refresh where we've come from first. So let's hit the refresh button on our computers. And have a look at what we've already talked about. Jesus is extending an invitation to wholeness. This is the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. He is going through the law, the things that um, the Pharisees have kind of put in place to kind of say, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. But Jesus is going deeper than what the law is doing. And he's actually extending an invitation into wholeness. It's not an expectation, but an invitation. And then what Caro was sharing last week, the rewards that Jesus is talking about in this passage are withness. Withness with our Father. Matthew 6.1, our reward is with our Father. Just like Caro's reward of watching cycling and knowing who's going to win the tour, even though I think Thomas has got a good chance of the Brits, um, is actually the presence with Luke. That's the reward. It's the withness. So that's where we're, I'm kind of starting from. Um, and I'm kind of going to look a bit at kind of the broad spread of this passage, the Matthew 6, 1 to 18, and look at the kind of glimpse into the three things that are mentioned. We've got prayer, we've got giving, and we've got fasting. So I'll talk a little bit about habits. I'll then look at specifically the habit of fasting and what's going on. What is the context in terms of the Old Testament story of what's going on in fasting? And then we'll look at, well, what does this look like for us now? Should we be engaging with this ourselves? What is it in, in reference to fasting is Jesus actually getting at? Sound good? And let's chat fast. Lovely. Um, so Matthew 6, 1 to 18. As Caro said last week, the word father is used 10 times in those verses. The word reward is used seven. And the phrase when you is mentioned six times. And this implies there's an expectation. It's not if you, when you feel like it. It's not do not like we've seen in the previous chapter of do not murder, do not commit adultery. These are things that actually Jesus is still encouraging us to participate in. And just like um, in the Luke passage, which is behind, um, on the screen, Luke eighteen twelve, this is when the Pharisee is talking about what he's participating in that makes him better than the other people. And he says, I fast twice a day and I give and that kind of thing. So there's an understanding that these three things that Jesus is talking about is in in a sense, a habit, something that is regularly done. Uh, a good definition of habit is one by Dolan in 1957. I clearly did my research. Um, and a habit is a fixed or constant practice established by frequent repetition. So, just to get things going, why not have a chat with the person next to you and ask them what are some of your habits? What are some of the things that you do that you practice frequently and repetitiously? Have a quick chat, off you go. Okay, wrapping up conversations. Thank you very much. So hopefully that conversation has sparked a few ideas in, kind of, in terms of what are the habits that are kind of involved in our daily lives. Um, and I was trying to think of a few examples that I do, but I guess habits are kind of difficult to pin down, because in a sense, you don't really think about them. They're just habitual, you kind of just keep doing it. Um, so I tried to like step back and just be like, what do I do that I don't actually think about, that I'm now actually trying to think about? Um, and one of the things I realized is, and it was called out, interestingly, by Lexi the other, the other day, and it's how I eat an apple. I have a very specific way of eating an apple that I just don't think about, but I just do it that way, which is like eating around. I nearly like recorded a video of myself and put it up there, but alas, you'll have to just imagine with your brains Um, and you just like eat around the middle and then you've got like that classic shape of apple with the kind of cut out in and then you eat around the top and that kind of thing. I always eat an apple like that. That's the best way to eat an apple. It is. I'm sorry. Um, That's one of the things. Another thing I realized is um, I'll ask you a question. What is the one thing that you now bring with you when you go to the bathroom? Your phone. Sorry, Linda. I'm a millennial. That's what I do. I can't live without it. I literally, uh, me and the Mearses went for a walk the other day, and I panicked when I realized I left my phone in the car. I felt so, like, lost without it. I was like, I've lost my phone. And Kara was just like, oh, I left mine in there as well. I was just like, oh, it's easy for you. (sighs) Ah. But it's one of those things that I just don't think about it. I just take my phone into the bathroom with me. That means that I can just check some emails, reply to some messages, that kind of thing. It's what you do. Um, But something else that actually is suddenly an unconscious thing that was called out of me was, I was listening to a podcast, um, and a woman called Hilary McBride was talking about how when um, when we walk down the street, we can often catch ourselves looking at our reflection and judging ourselves looking at the image that we're portraying in the window and kind of going, oh, I could lose a few pounds. I don't look that great. And as soon as she said that, I realized that I do that. Because in the morning, there's literally like a mirror right in front of me. If you've ever been to Karen and Luke's house, the room that I'm in, it's literally like bed, huge mirror doors, <laughs> can't get away from it. But that's what I do. And I don't think about it. I don't think, oh, I would better check what I look like and judge myself. It's just simply that something that I have the habit of doing. And there was a recent study at Duke University, I love my studies, deal with it, sorry, um, which said that as much as 40% of the actions we take every day are not products of choice, but are of habit. And Aristotle famously says, we are what we repeatedly do. So our habits are very much almost our identity, what we're sharing of ourselves. And a great quote from um, a guy called Charles, I never say his name right, Duhigg. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, Book The Power of Habit says, when a habit is formed, the brain stops participating in decision making. The patterns we have unfold automatically. We don't even think about what we're doing. We simply just go along with it because it's no longer part of our brain functioning. We're just like, it's what I do. So that's why almost trying to think of habits that we have instilled in our lives is often really difficult because we never actually think about them. We just do them. We just go along with the flow because our brain isn't making any kind of decision because it does what it always does. So actually we need to start taking a step back and looking into this and kind of going, well, how can we challenge these unconscious habits that we have? Now, some of the habits you may have mentioned are really positive. They might be really good habits that you've instilled. But I'm sure there's probably habits that you're aware of in your life, like my looking at my reflection in the mirror that you're like, that's probably not that great for me. and. Habits are the three things that Jesus is talking about in this passage. Prayer and giving and fasting. There's an expectation that these are habits that people have. That he's encouraging people to continue these habits. It's not, don't do like the Pharisees do and don't fast and don't pray and don't give. He's recognizing that these are beneficial habits, but we need to have the right motivation and the right heart behind them. We need to look a bit deeper at what they're doing for us. So let's look at one of these habits, fasting. That's a transition sentence, if you've ever wondered. Um, Nice little preaching lesson. (laughs) So I'm just going to read the specific passage, Matthew 6, 16 to 18. It's going to be on the screen. So you can just chill out and either listen or read. I'll try and read it emotively so you can enjoy it. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Lovely stuff. You can go on to the next slide, Dan, because it's hilarious. (laughs) They just figured their faces. I found that and thought it was really fun. So let's look at, uh, as we enjoy that, it's Jim Carrey pulling a funny face, if you're listening on audio. Um, So let's look back in terms of what this practice has become. How has this become a habit for the Pharisees at the time. What's going on? So looking back in the Old Testament, there are two kind of times where fasting is mentioned as something that there's an expectation that they'll do. One is at Yom Kippur, which means Day of Atonement, which if you're interested about Yom Kippur, you can read about it in Leviticus 16. And Leviticus 16 talks not specifically about fasting, but it uses a phrase of you shall afflict yourselves, which a lot of translations will say, or you shall fast. It's one of the two, but it's an interesting comparison in terms of the fact that it's recognizing there is affliction involved. There is a pain involved. This is something that's cutting quite deep. And the second kind of time that fasting is practiced and mentioned is something that Scott McKnight calls sacred moments. And these are moments where uh, something traumatic happens. It might be to do with grief or death. So the example that I've got on the screen is from 2 Samuel 12, which is all about uh, David's child that he has uh, with Bathsheba um, becomes sick, and David fasts as a response to the child becoming sick. This is a sacred moment, something of deep grief and anguish for him and he chooses to fast. Now, the connection that we often see with fasting is that it goes along with the idea of wearing sackcloth and putting ashes on our heads. And that's kind of the outward expression and it kind of links in with lament. So when the Pharisees, when the passage is talking about disfiguring their faces, it's the idea that they are doing this outwardly, that they're really kind of emphasizing the sackcloth and ashes and really going to town on this whole outward expression. Um, Because fasting is quite difficult to outwardly express because it's an internal thing, like you don't eat food. Like the only real time that people know about it is if you tell them, or if you kind of don't really eat a meal when it's offered to you. Um, But they're really emphasizing the fact that they're doing this. They want it to be abundantly clear to everyone that they are fasting. You've gotta go quite a way to actually express this. Um, So they are uh, looking for adulation and respect from others. That's the main reason why they're disfiguring their faces, where they are looking gloomy, because they're looking for others to respect them. They're looking for their practice to be seen by others and therefore rewarded. And Jesus is saying that actually this practice is going to be rewarded, but they will have already received it. And that is what others think of them. I love the quote that... um, Henry Nouwen shares where he talks about the lies about our identity. One of the things is the lie that we believe is that I am what others say about me. It's giving away our identity. It's allowing other people to define who we are. And that's literally what the Pharisees are doing. They are looking for the affirmation of others by exposing a practice that should be secret and an honor to God, actually using it to try and get respect and adulation from other people. But Jesus goes on and says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father in secret. Scholars kind of debate about what this means. Some of them say you would only anoint your head with oil during celebrations. Um, But on the other hand, a lot of them say this is simply just how you clean yourself up. You just put a a bit of oil in your hair, wash your face. You're looking normal. And I like that because it's emphasizing the fact that this shouldn't be an outward expression that is seen by others, that therefore you're looking for them to affirm you. Because there's something about a practice of self-denial that wants affirmation from others. You're denying yourself something and you're looking for something to fill it. You're looking for some kind of like, good job, you're fasting, you're great, excellent. And that's what the Pharisees are engaging, that's what they're wanting to do. But actually, what Jesus is calling out is actually, no, like, you shouldn't be looking for affirmation from outside. This is a commitment to me. This is something in secret. And as Caro's been saying, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your reward is the witness with God because that's the whole heart of this. It's not going about trying to look great in front of other people. It's actually our reward is withness. So the first rule about fasting is you don't talk about fasting, as Fight Club famously said. Gotta add a few jokes in there. Keep it light, keep the mood good. So there are two approaches to fasting that um, Scott McKnight uh, shares in his book. And one of them is the instrumental approach. And I will completely put my hands up and say, this is the way I have pretty much always looked at fasting. It is only recently that I've kind of taken a step back and been like, oh, hmm, that's a good point. Um, and the instrumental approach is basically we fast to get a response, we fast to get a benefit. So we have a desire. So the Pharisee's desire is to look well respected to be uh, paraded in front of people, so they fast. And their reward is adulation from other people. That's what happens. And sometimes we go into uh, a fast and we're like, I really want a new car. That would be great. So I'm gonna fast and I'm gonna make sure people outwardly see the fact that I'm fasting. Um, And you may get a reward. You might get a new car, I don't know. There's a, we all probably know the placebo effect in the fact that if you believe in something, it's more likely to work. Like, placebo effect is you get a sugar pill and you're told, oh, well, this is going to make you feel better. And you're like, okay, I guess it's going to make me feel better. And I, I don't want to um, undermine anything in terms of the amazing provision or the amazing miracles that God does through people who are fasted and stuff like that. but. Scott McKnight is quite clear in terms of saying this approach isn't biblical. Like, it's not seen in the Old Testament. The approach that is seen is a responsive approach, where we fast as a response to something. We're not fasting for a response. We're not depriving ourselves of food so that God will answer our prayers. Almost like uh, when I was younger, if I wanted something, I just wouldn't eat, and my parents would. I'd just be like, "I'm not going to eat until you let me have some cake," and they're just like, "Well, this is ridiculous. You don't have cake." There was um, there was a story of um, uh, my cousin who would refuse to eat anything but bananas, just. Refused like anything else like whatever they uh, my uncle and auntie offered him it was just like I'm not gonna eat it And he literally just uh, lived off bananas and obviously like bananas kind of hold up your stomach and kind of intestines kind of area So there was one fateful night probably a couple of days after this banana only diet Where my cousin was in the bath? He's gonna really hate me for sharing the story. Uh, he was in the bath and suddenly uh, my uncle and auntie hear this ah! because his bowels had finally let go from all the bananas that were holding up and they just come to this scene of bath and brown and they're like what is going on awful awful and that's that's not that's not what fasting about fasting isn't kind of like holding god hostage and kind of being like you better answer my prayer or i'm not gonna eat eat anything because it's meant to be a response to this sacred moment that scott mcknight is sharing where death and fear and despair happen, and it's a response to life. We fast, and there is a reward. Jesus is quite clear. There is a reward in secret, and it's witness. The quote that kind of ties it all up together for me is, uh, again, by Scott McKnight. He sums it up like this. The focus on the Bible is not what we get from fasting or motivating people to fast in order to acquire something, but instead lands squarely on responding to sacred moments in life. Fasting delves into how God interprets, experiences, and understands, and explains significant events. Fasting enters us into God's pathos, which can be translated as passion. Passion. Fasting enters us into God's pathos. And it's that whole idea, I don't know if you remember and I won't get people up, but it's the idea of we're entering into the Trinity. Fasting allows us to enter and experience what God experiences through these times of death and suffering. We feel the fact that we're in a broken world. We feel that the kingdom of God has not yet come. And we are able to feel what God is feeling in that moment. So what does this look like now for us? Should this be something that we are engaging in? Or is this a habit that's just reserved for Jewish people or people on a diet, or that kind of thing. Because fasting, and more often than not, if you Google fasting, which I did extensively in preparation, you will get a lot of dieting books and emphasis on in uh, indispersed fasting, about you fast a little bit and then you have some food and that kind of thing. And it is something that kind of has some traction in terms of the health benefits and stuff. But again, we're not we're not fasting for the benefit, we're fasting as a response to life's moments. So what does this look like? Um, Like I said, fasting allows us to acknowledge that we live in a broken world. It allows us to acknowledge the fact that death happens. We suffer, we go through hardships together. But that's not how it's meant to be. That's not how the world was set out to be. That is not the source of life and love and the world that we experience and know through Jesus Christ. We try to eat or consume to fill our emptiness. The emptiness that we experience in life. And fasting is a way to lean into this emptiness. Fasting exposes the self because you can't use food or other things to dull your desires, numb your feelings, or make you feel satisfied or happy. The number of times that I've had a hard day and I feel like, ah, I just need to have a bowl of ice cream and like a Chico's. I'm trying to be relevant here, Caro. I've never, never gone to Chico's. I've had Chico's bought for me, and I've greatly appreciated it. Um, but it's that sense of filling our emptiness with other things. Filling our emptiness with stuff that we see all around us, which actually deprives us of the reward in secret that Jesus is talking about. Because when we go somewhere in secret, we're relying on the fact that there is something more. That there's something beyond what we see in the world, that there's a source in the secret that sustains and fulfills and dwells within us. In emptying ourselves, we practice becoming like Christ, who emptied himself, which is called kenosis, which Carrie shared about last week. We practice sharing his sufferings, It isn't on the mountains of triumph and victory, but in the valleys of sorrow and loss that he waits for us. God is, as my friend Brad Jerzak shares, God is self-emptying, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. And when we participate in fasting, we're participating in the self-emptying part. We're emptying ourselves of the desires that we have and allowing them to be in front of us. Emptying ourselves to allowing ourselves to be filled by His source, by His love. Because we're not relying on food or maybe technology or social media or affirmation from others to fill the emptiness and the pain that we experience when we put ourselves out there, when we live our lives. I was um, talking at youth on Wednesday, um, which was a wonderful experience. And uh, Matt and Becky do a great job um, with the young people. But I was so aware of how I felt after leaving and going, was I good enough? Did I feel like I actually connected in the way I should have done? Sensing that emptiness of almost who am I? But then recognizing and going, I need God to fill that. I need God to fulfill and sustain me and affirm my identity because I could quite easily look for someone to affirm me in that moment. I could probably ring Matt up and just be like, hey Matt, how did I do? And Matt is an amazing and lovely and encouraging person. He'd be like, you did great, mate, you're awesome. And I'm sure we'll talk about how I actually did afterwards. But then I'm going, oh well, so long as Matt thinks that I'm doing good, then I'm okay. But then what happens if something doesn't work out in terms of our relationship? What if I do say something that might be a bit iffy? suddenly then my identity is completely in Matt's hands. But if I'm putting my identity in God, who loves me, who created me, who affirms me, who is the source of all things. I'll finish up by tying this kind of all together. Uh, with something uh, Richard Rohr says, uh, which is the only way that the unconscious can erupt into our conscious is through experiences of grief, great love, and uncontrollable suffering. See, we talked about how habits are these unconscious things that go on in our heads that we find hard to pin down because we never actually think about them. They're just things that we do. And that's where our formation comes from. But actually, Richard Roy is sharing that these moments of grief and love and suffering are the things that actually allow the stuff that just happens in our heads that we don't think about to come forward and actually for us to dwell and think about them. And fasting gives us that opportunity to step in and choose to suffer, choose to be afflicted, choose to feel the pain and allow the things that just simply go on in the back of our heads to come to the fore, to allow us to see who we are. Are we what we repeatedly do? Because if we are, we should really know what that is. And going through love and suffering, the greatest transformational experiences, allow us to see this. Allow us to be transformed, to be transformed into the wholeness that God is inviting us to throughout this whole sermon. I'll finish uh, by sharing a little story about, you can go to the last slide, Dan, about one of my um, uh, spiritual heroes, and that's uh, my girlfriend, Tash. She's exactly how you uh, can see her picture. She's fun and quirky and just so passionate about life. But um, we, started, we started going out probably about nine months ago now, uh, which is quite exciting. But... Basically, this, this whole trip to Australia was already planned before I met her. I'd already chatted with Cara about coming out. Um, and it was something that I really felt like I needed to step into to experience, um, basically, what God had for me here. Um, and then Tash came along, and we kind of chatted, and I did, I did the right thing. I kind of, like, before I asked her out, I was just like, by the way, I am going to Australia for about four months next year and she was just like yep that's fine cool great not unbeknownst to her what was going to happen um but basically it came nearer and nearer to kind of me flying away and there was a recognition of the fact that this was going to be really tough this is going to be a really difficult time for both of us and i was kind of like well i'm getting to go to australia so i'm kind of in quite a good position. But she was kind. Of, she is and was still at home and had a choice to make. She could choose to kind of let me go and kind of be like, you know what, this is fine. Like, things might work out afterwards. And you know what, this is gonna be really painful. Like, I'm not gonna be able to see the person that I love for four and a half months. I could not go through any of this pain and suffering and just let things go. Cut the tie, be gone, live my life, live his life. Um, And I'm so incredibly grateful that she didn't choose to do that Um, because we've been able to go through an incredible journey that has helped transform our relationship because we've gone through something that is so difficult and painful. We've literally had to be with each other via screens. We haven't had physical withness with each other. We've almost had to fast that. But it's, what amazes me is the fact that she chose to go through that suffering. She chose to go through that pain, knowing that it would transform our relationship to what it is and will be. And I guess that's my heart for all of us in terms of when we choose fasting, when we choose to go through this suffering, that actually God would transform us in that. As we participate in that self-emptying characteristic of God, that he would change us and transform us into greater and greater wholeness. So I've got two questions to finish up. And then we can get to state of origin and enjoy New South Wales getting level. Amen. It is on tonight. Yeah, I know my stuff. That's why we're marrying Oh, yeah, I should be wearing blue. <gasps> Sorry. Ah, uh, There we go. Anyway, I'm being divisive. I love the fact that last time I talked about Uh, dualistic thinking and now I'm just completely encouraging it (laughs) don't think dualistically apart from now the state of origin has actually started Um, cool so the two questions that I kind of want to leave us with um, and maybe it's something that you can chat with the person next to you or chat as we kind of like end the service I don't know how you want to do it Caro but the questions are how can you further embody kenosis what are the things that you can do in your life to further Participate in that self-emptying love that God has. And then the second question is tying in with what we were talking about earlier. What habits are currently forming you? How could you lean into pain or discomfort to allow transformation? What habits are currently forming you? How could you lean into pain or discomfort to allow transformation? Um, So I'm just going to pray, looking at Caro for advice. I'll pray, and then we'll talk about it. And then you can finish up whenever. Cool. So that will stay on there. Those are suggestive questions. So if something is just like, oh, I'd really like to ask my neighbor this, feel free to go with that as well. But these are just directives for you. Um, So, yeah, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are self-emptying, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. I thank you that you invite us to participate in your response to sacred moments in life, the reality of suffering and pain that we see and experience in our lives, the lives of the people we love, in our families and in our world. Help us to participate in that so we can feel that same anguish and pain that you feel in those circumstances. Father, I pray for experiences of pain and suffering that we're in now as well. Pray for those dark nights thank you that you are transforming us through those moments that love and suffering are creating in us a wholeness and I pray that we would be able to further participate and further engage in the invitation that you have for us that the Sermon on the Mount shares for us. Amen. So talk person next to you. Questions will remain on the screen, and then Carol finishes off. Afterwards. Cool. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>